0: This is Rock
1: Talk with Mitch Lafon. Mitch Lafon. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon. here on Mitch Marathon Month. And of course, it will wear better if you are listening to it in a Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon t-shirt. Available at loudtracks.com forward slash Mitch. And my gratuitous plug is now done. But... Uh, Can you hear my voice, by the way? I have done six shows in six nights in four cities and two provinces, driving myself, by the way, and uh, my voice is fantastic, but uh, today I've got a a double episode. We don't do a lot of double episodes, but I have got George Thorogood, who was in Kempville, Ontario uh, last night, uh, July 20th. We are now July 21st, and his... Uh, Guitar tech is Rev Jones. Now, Rev Jones played with Steelheart. He played with uh, the Scorpions' James Kotak in a band called Kotak that also had Tommy Lee's sister, Athena. Uh, Rev has a new album out called Backwash. But uh, George, uh, on the other hand, has a whole bunch of stuff that he was plugging. The new Epiphone, George Thorogood White Fang Uh, guitar, and the uh, tour, the Good to Be Bad tour, 45 years of rock. Now, both interviews were recorded backstage. Uh, More specifically, I think they were recorded like in the laundry room. Anyway, so uh, I'm going to play those. So there's two of them today. Um, In fact, you know what, instead of giving you a a long talk up about everything, let, let me get over to George real quick, and then we'll come back, we'll say a couple more words, and we'll get over to Rev Jones talking about his album Backwash. And of course, you can head over to RevJones.com to check that out. But uh, I will say um, I had a chance to uh, talk to his uh, manager, tour manager, Adam, uh, George's manager. and, And Adam is just terrific. Just one of the nicest guys you will absolutely ever meet. Um, he's, uh, going to help me set up interviews with 38 special, the outlaws and some other bands and just a terrific, terrific, terrific. So I uh, just thank you to Adam. Always uh, a pleasure to, uh, to talk to and, and play or not play, but uh, talk to and deal with, is that, is that the word? That, that sounds kind of harsh, but deal with Adam. But anyway, you know what I mean? So, uh, without further ado, uh, we are going to, oh, you know what, just before, before we started rolling the tape, uh, George and I, for some reason, started talking about Ted Nugent. And uh, George was talking about how Ted is a great guitar player. And I said, you know, I just interviewed Ted. And he said, it's a shame that he's not considered in the top 100 uh, guitarists in America. And George was like, that, that's not even doing him justice. He should be like in the top 20 but, because the, the, the guy can play. Anyway, um, without further ado, here is from the laundry room. In Kentville, Ontario, no kidding, well actually I'm not kidding, it is the one, the only, George... Thurgood. We are in uh, Kentville, Ontario, with the one and only Legendary. Uh-oh. The legendary. Now you have a lot to live up to in this interview, by the way. George Thurgood. Uh, George, always, always, always a pleasure. Thank you, Mitch. Uh, uh, obviously, it's been a long, long summer for you, being a, a New York Mets fan. It's a little bit complicated, a little <laughs> it's bit complicated.
2: It's always a long summer every year with the Mets. <laughs> Isn't it? Even when they're winning.
1: <laughs> Even when they're winning. Yes. But uh, you have this new white fang guitar Mm um talk to me a little bit about this so when they come to you epiphone and say you want to make this guitar do they just sort of send you over a prototype and say do you like it and want to put your name to it or do you get in there and say i want this specification i want this
2: added into it How, how does that work well in my case i can only relate to how it worked with me okay i can't speak for other guitarists uh, in my case, I played a, a Gibson ES125 my whole life. Right. And they're very fragile guitars. There's a limited amount of time they made them from 1957 to 1970, I believe. And because they're an arch because I started on acoustic guitar and I finger pick and thumb pick, right. they're an ideal setup for me. Right. But they're a very inexpensive <clears throat> guitar. They had the <clears throat> P90s, which people love. But they feed back a lot. You can't play on television with them because of right. the lights. They feed back all the time. Wow. Um, but they were perfect for me, and it gave me a unique sound. Plus, I could really play. And they're small guitars. I have small hands and small right. neck. But I wore them out. And then they got so rare, we, could, we, we I just beat them to death. Right. And we were spending more money repairing these guitars. And at the same time, we were, I remember one time I ran out of guitars. I said, I guess career's over. And our, <laughs> I'm
1: just going to go home.
2: And our bass player, all of a sudden, mysteriously, in a month, found two. Wow. <laughs> mysteriously. Somewhere he came up on them to keep me going. Right. <laughs> Why did he bury the body? Well, he was, just, no, no, he was just saying, well, if that's the case, we'll find him a guitar. Well, this is the case, there's none of them left to be found. Right. And even if we did find them, um, they're not ideal instruments for what I do. Um, Epiphone had been coming to me for a while. And uh, our manager, Adam Connie came and said... Epiphone wants to, you know, help you out here, and I was like, Yeah, "Now the 125." They said, well, "What we can do is we, Epiphone will design an Epiphone exactly like your 125," and I was thinking, "You know, I've tried that. I've tried people making custom pants and custom shirts. It just doesn't work." Right. I'm a stock guy. Right. I like a right off the shelf stock. Can't go wrong. And he said, "But there are none left, George, and your jokes aren't that good. <laughs> so you have to play." Right. Playing. <laughs> all right all right so they they brought this um, epiphone to me well it was really difficult at first hmm. so our guitar tech and our guitar sound man I started working on them working out the kinks in them and playing you know certain spots that I hit all the time weren't working you know just that's the kind of thing it is you know right. it had to be tailor-made for my my way I play now these two guys have heard me play a lot so they know what they are doing so each night I tried a little bit and try a little bit and I tried them a few times on stage and I was like, well, they had to sneak them on stage without even telling you, right? Well, one night I did a festival, and I did both both those guitars, and I didn't even know it, because <laughs> I was so involved in my performing, they just came out and handed me the guitar. I didn't look, it didn't say Gibson on it, it said Epiphone, I just played. So uh, later I was saying, you know, I want to play the one twenty. I said, you did already did a festival with both those guitars. I said, I did? I said, you did it in Portland, you used both guitars. I said, oh, wow, that's interesting. So... Pitt, Jeff Pitt, our sound guy. I said, "Look, you, you, you mentioned baseball, right? Because when you play those one twenty fives, you hit the ball as hard as you can. It like it hits the warning track and bounces, into it stands for a double, right? You play these epiphones. It's like the ball rockets into the upper deck.
0: Right. That's the
2: difference. That's the difference." He said, "You're you're not reaching people like you can. Like I know you can. Okay. So I, you on the one. I said, listen." I just want to use the 125s one more time, just one more time at a show, because I've been using the Epiphone's, getting used to them for two or three nights. I let me use my old guitar as well last time. Well, lo and behold, Mitch, we did the show. But Let me tell you, it was a good show, audience reception, but it wasn't quite the same. He was right. It was right. It was like, the audience was like, yeah, but with the other guitar, it was like, ah. See, so with the, I said, you're right. It's, it's, it's different. I can tell the difference of the audience from yeah. last night till tonight. You know, and he said, yeah, you're hitting mm-hmm. it into the warning track. You don't want that. You want to leave the stadium.
1: Yeah.
2: And I said, you see, I'm a lunatic. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I live with that. But our, our, sound man, he's a maniac. Right. He, <laughs> he, he's he, certifiable. I mean? he's a certifiable maniac. You know, he, he he's a guy that's uh, kill, kill, kill. <laughs> He, that's what he goes for. He's a juggler vein type of guy. Right. And he was saying, well, if you have that kind of act and everything, you should have the right instrument. Right. So I said, okay. So I tried them. So Epiphone steps up. And not only did they give me one or give me two, it's ten. Wow.
1: Ten guitars.
2: Count them. Ten. Not two or three.
1: Ten. I thought they're a good company. <laughs> to they, say the least They take care of their
2: people Well it'll be good I'll be, I'll be playing for a while and Right it, Yeah the, um,
1: now, now did you modify them in any way? Did you come oh, yeah, back yeah. to them and say Hey I don't like the way this mm-hmm. Yeah okay. we did that we, so, like, so,
2: Yeah they, they, they customized it
1: So what performance sort of tweaks did you make? I didn't Pit did And our okay. sound guy did But obviously you must give suggestions Well there were
2: certain spots I said this spot is real dull It's not re- responding in this one area mm-hmm. Or I'd say this is the area where I play the most, or this is what. And you need a little more. uh, This this area. So they worked on it and worked on it without just saying, "Well, okay, let's just get another guitar." No, they worked on it in certain spots. Reverend, our guitar guy, who's the guy you should interview.
1: I did interview Rev.
2: Oh yeah, he's great. You know, he's he's a genius, really. Yeah. Yeah, and he he would find these spots to to make it work. Well, he and I went to see and and Adam. We went to see Jeff Beck, and Jeff Beck. Fender's a big company. They, mm. don't, they don't need endorsements, but they got endorsements from Jeff Beck. Have you seen Jeff's guitar? One? Mm. You like that one with the headstock? Oh, oh like yeah. <laughs> Forget it. And, and Reverend actually touched it once. It was on display somewhere, and he actually walked over and touched, touched. <laughs> it. Like, that's the great thing about music—how geeky we get. I touched a guitar, but that's
1: that's the beauty of yeah, music, yeah. right? Yeah,
2: it really is, Mitch. Because uh, <laughs> I remember when I, I to- we did a tour with BB King. Yeah. And it was like a ritual. B.B. King had a guy on his payroll. His one job—he—I didn't even know he was a guitar thing. His one job was to take B.B.'s guitar, into B.B.'s room. That was and, it. And he, yes, <laughs> like his valet of his guitar, and he had it on a stand. And he was walking by the hall, and he had his guitar. Very serious man. Hi, he it's was really, respecting his instrument, Lucille. Yeah. Huh? So I asked the guy. I said, "Can I touch B.B.'s guitar?" And he said. No. And I said Could you ask mister King if I could touch his guitar? No. I said, I said Come on, man. I just want to touch it. So I go like this. Or right, I tap, <laughs> But I touched this guitar. See we all are like that. Yes. You know well, that's, that's why we're here. That's exactly I um I was lucky enough to do this uh, thing they do with Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. In Madison Square Garden, and it was his thirtieth year in show business. And Columbia threw this big party in Madison Square Garden. Where he went over the guest list, and of course, Tom Petty was there, George Harrison, Eric Clapton, uh, Chris Christopherson, the DMC work, Booker T. MGs with a backup band. Can't do any better than this. Can't do any better than that. Okay. The rock royalty. And somehow well, I got invited. What do you mean somehow? Listen, come on. Do you know how many people were standing in line that wanted to be part of this? And Dylan said no. no. Yes,
1: but at the end of the day, you're, you don't do this for forty-five years because you're some schmuck.
2: I mean, the, you're you're part of rock royalty. My, I was in the. Wait a minute. This was a long time ago. I was in the same dressing room with Johnny Cash, yeah, Willie Nelson, and Chris Christopherson. My dressing room was with those three guys. Right. And no, you wait. think,
1: well, what's Chris Christopherson doing there? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding.
2: <laughs> no. G G G Smith. No, no, G me, Smith. G Smith took me to the, the room and then said, here's your dressing room. And it said Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, George Thorogood. And I said, Well that must be the wrong room.
1: Okay, but jokes aside, you
2: don't think you belong? You do belong. Let me finish. Let me okay. finish. Let me finish. Let okay. Me finish. I said you put me in with these guys. And this is what, this is what uh, G. Smith says to me. He goes, it's yours, the outlaws. Can't go no further. That's right. At the end of the night, they had everybody on stage. And the next to the last song they were going to do was My Back Pages. Everybody took a verse. McGuinn um, took a verse. Mm-hmm. Tom Petty took a verse. And Dylan took a verse. Now, before it went on, I was lucky enough that the stage crew were some people who used to work with us, who were working that show. And I went to them, and I pleaded with them. I said, listen, when all those cats are on stage, Dylan, Clapton, Clapton took a verse, playing this song, I said, can I just sit on the stage in the back? No one will see me. And I, can I take my guitar and just put my guitar on the stage with me? They found a spot for me, there's these guys up there. Crimson flames flying through my ears. You know that that thing they do, you know? Okay. Here I am off to the side, I got my guitar, and I'm on a stage, and some of the people in Madison Square Garden see me, what's going on, see me sitting there, watching these guys. I'm just sitting here with my guitar. Right. Almost all of them look at me, and they go, like, mm-hmm. we know why you are doing this. I didn't have to play. I just wanted to be on the fucking stage. See what I'm saying? And you you say these things, um, like you mentioned baseball. Yeah. They had a a Hall of Fame dinner. All these guys were in the Hall of Fame, right? And it was after the Hall of Fame induction that we had a big dinner. After the dinner, Ted Williams, Stan Musial, and Joe DiMaggio, and Mickey Mantle go to Ted's room. It's just late at night. All four of them. And Ted does most of the talking. And he's talking about hitting. is not much of a talker. He's a listener, you know. And Ted's talking about this stance, and he's he's, he's tying everything. everybody's getting along. In the middle of it, he's talking about a certain pitcher. He had a tough time. Well, I think it was Bob Feller or somebody, some badass. Right. Ted Williams turns to Mickey Mantle, and he says, "Yeah, I had this. I had to hit him like this." He goes, "What do you think, Mickey? How, how did you how did you handle him?" Mantle sits there and Stan Musial. And Joe DiMaggio turned and looked at Mickey like, Yeah, what would really like to know, Mickey. You're one of the greatest. This is after Mandel's in the Hall of Fame. Got up and ran out of the room. Really? Couldn't take it. And they asked him why he did he say, I'm a fucking bat boy compared to those guys. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. See, every, everybody's got their, their thing. You know what I mean? And I always think, uh, how much you play or how good you might get or successful. If I ever lose that, then I'm done.
1: Is that... Is that what keeps you in it after 45 years, is the passion? Because I know I do my interviews and so on, and it's the passion for the music. H- have you ever lost the passion? Was there ever a time where you went, you know, I'm, I'm just not inspired to pick up the guitar. Eh. Mm-hmm. Or have it, has, you, has it always been there,
2: that passion? When did Pete Rose lose his passion for baseball? Uh, Never. Well, yeah. Never. But when he started out, he could barely hit the ball out of the infield. He worked and worked and worked and kept working and working and working until he got on a team, any team. Yep. And then he said, I got on a team, I got on a team. And then he kept working and working and working. So he stayed on a team. He worked more and more and more. And finally he became an all-star. And then he worked more and more and more and started breaking every record in the book. And he still didn't stop. You see what I'm saying? There's a passion here, but there's also a part of you that says, you know, I want, I'm – I want to stroll with the immortals. Who doesn't? Right. You know. So when I said, "Do you know that if if I if you ever asked me, you may never do, but I'll probably bring it up, and I could list you certain people that came to see our band, primarily came to see me, right? Right. Right? And if I told you who these people were, you you wouldn't fucking believe it.
1: Well, who are they?
2: you see people on their night off or whatever they're doing with their life came to see us play let's start at the top and stay there Bob Dylan wow Can we keep going we're we're starting pretty
1: top that's top right there Mick Jagger yeah wow
2: well of course you toured or or played a show do you know how do you know how busy these people are how hard it is for these people to arrange something for them to do, even if it's just going to buy a pack of gum. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Life is complicated for those people. It's not like they just say, I'll buy a ticket and go see this guy. Right. Also on the list is John Fogarty. Oh. That's hot. That is very hot. You know what I like to say? I said, I tease John whenever he gets a little grumpy. I said, John, the Beatles came to see you play off. the Beatles came to see you play, and then what I tell people, I said the Fogerty came to see me play. Can you dig it? That is great.
1: That is great. That's hot. And you know what? In that same van, I just interviewed Doug Clifford from that band. So mm. that's it. No, but but that but that's impressive. So do you get a sort of a, a kick out of that when somebody of that stature comes? Does that does that motivate you more when you look out in the audience and you see Mick Jaggy go,
2: "Fuck yeah! Look at that!" That's I was in the elevator. I'm in England. And we're just coming off stage. And I looked off the side of the stage. And there was this cat watching us play. And he gets in the, in the elevator. And this woman who was a guitarist said, Hey, look, look this cat came to see you play, man. And I look over and go, Wow. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. This isn't really happening to me. You see, I was just a kid, man. These all these people were monsters to me you know what i'm saying monster people mm. and i like mantle I, I said manl couldn't handle it so he runs away and that's me that's me in a nutshell i got the chance to meet eric clapton and i was sitting at a table my wife and i and he was looking at me this big smile on his face and she's my wife said look I said, Eric, he wants to meet you. Me. Look, you have to go over there and speak to him. I said, yeah, you I do. Said, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the rookie goes to the God. The God doesn't come to the rookie.
1: Right.
2: So I went over and talked to him. He said, George, oh, mate. Big hug. We started talking. He he chilled my shit forever. Wow. Forever he chilled my shit. And this is how he did it, Mitch. You ready for this? I'm sitting there talking with him, and I just, I was speechless, if you can believe that. Me, speechless, and I was unbelievable. Went, it was, it was <laughs> unbelievable. And I was sitting there going, on, I, 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 I really don't know what to say. I said, after all, you're Eric Clapton. Here's what he says to me. He goes, gets real serious. He goes, yes, that's true, but you're George Thorogood. You must never forget that. Yes, well, <laughs> yeah, I agree. That was like, Ted oh, Williams said, "What do you yeah. think, Mickey?" <laughs> yeah. But still, I ran away anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know. Uh, so let me let me ask you about this because you forty five years of touring. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Alan Parsons the other day, and he says to me, "Touring has become the bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Forget selling records. Mm-hmm. Forget. Se- I have to tour." And he said, "Listen, mm-hmm. I'm seventy some years old, and it's getting harder, mm-hmm. but I have to tour."
2: For yeah. You.
1: How do you feel about it? Has the music business changed so much where we can't sell records and we can't sell anything, and it has to be you have to be on the road?
2: There's now, always change. Right. There's always change. This is one of the best times ever to be on the road. It it's was a fantastic. nightmare. It was a nightmare 40, 50 years ago. Why do you think the Beatles quit? They couldn't hear themselves. They had to. They changed technology. Right. They had to create instruments and PA systems to accommodate... The disasters that happened at shows with people like the Stones or the Who or things like that, because this stuff wasn't invented yet. Right. There wasn't even tour buses. Hotels wouldn't take you. See? No, they wouldn't. So, because t- of the reputation. Well, just whatever reasons. But whatever reasons, it's become a monster institution, a monster business. Um, there's no luxury that's too much to, to accommodate, to keep it going. Anything that is financially successful is going to last. Right. So of people say it, it may get harder on you because you might be an older person, but there are ways around it. That they have things for, for with you, a custom made bus, the right. best hotel suite to accompany a BB King, you know, a man who's now in his eighties, is, is a diabetic or whatever. They take care of, you know. It's, nice. it, so in that sense, it, it, it's it, it's better. Um, the competition is heavier because there, there's just ninety bands out every summer. No, yes, 200 bands, 2,000 bands.
1: Well, listen, tonight you are my sixth show in six nights.
2: There you go. See? I've done six out of yeah, six. Right. And there's <laughs> usually three or four people playing that night. Yes. You know, so... Oh, I had options tonight, but I came to you, of well, course. Well, thank you. Well, see, you, but you got to earn a killer. Yes. Yeah, so that's when I say you go out there, um, you better deliver, because it, the, the average ticket now is, what, 75, 80 bucks? Mm-hmm. Fill up the gas tank, was 90 bucks? Mm-hmm. Parking, 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about maybe a couple of beers. And you're buying four tickets, one for your kid, one for your wife. Oh,
1: shows have become $1,000 yeah. by the time you're done. Exactly.
2: No, $1,000 before you get on stage.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm Plus talking about uh, you bring the wife
2: and a couple of kids yeah, the, and the T-shirts. and the, uh, You're, 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 you're at talking 1, bucks. bucks here, man. You're talking rent. Exactly. And these people, <laughs> and you also think with that kind of money, and it's mostly a working class people that come to these things yes working-class people the average person who comes to the show now is about 43 44 mm-hmm. not 14 right so they have a job and they have to drive there and they have to do all that they have to go through a lot so everything they go through they and the money they spend it's probably the only show they can afford all year right one show they pick and if they pick you you better fucking come through yes <laughs> yes I have no doubt I have no um, choice you know I have no choice you know I uh, I met, I got to meet Joe DiMaggio. Oh. Yeah, and he gave me, he didn't give me advice. He gave me a command. We talked for a while, and the thing he told me, he said, George, you only owe your fans one thing. And I said, what's that? Your best. Yes, I agree. To him, there was no doubt in his mind. You know, that's, now my best might not live up to Jimi Hendrix or Paul McCartney, but it's still my best. Yes. You know what I'm saying? That's the best I can do, you just, know. You know, man, man. Oh, oh, I agree. Man will hit three home runs. Pete Rose hit two stand-up doubles. But that's the best Pete can do, right? <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, my motto is always be just be the best. Mitch, that Mitch can be. I yeah, mean, that, right. that's that's yeah. sort of
1: how I, that's I operate. Me too.
2: I don't step outside of that. I said I'm never going to be Jeff Beck. I'm never going to be these people. I'm, I'm never going to be Peter Townsend. All these people I saw when I was a kid. So I'm going to be the best George can be. You
1: know but but i would put you in the same argument as as or in the same breath as those cuz your style is unique the way you play is unique it, it, you look at the wrist from bad to the bone to i drink alone mm-hmm. exceptionally recognizable mm-hmm. you're in that jimmy
2: league H- jimmy hendrix wanted to be bob dylan yeah Okay, everybody is like that. I know. You see what I mean? Jeff Beck wants to be Les Paul. Of everybody, course. Everybody has that thing, no matter how brilliant or great they are. You know what I mean? Uh, you, you, Bob Dylan wants to be Hank Williams. Right. You know what I'm saying? So everybody you meet, they're all on that page. Eric Clapton wants to be BD King. Of course. You see? There's only one person, Little Richard, who wants to be Little Richard. Right. Woo! <laughs> and he loves that. But he, he loves it,
1: that's right. He loves it. But you're, but you're in that conversation, uh, mm. obviously. Um, and and since so we're talking about the best. I mean, fan-wise, when you see bands come out there that are drunk or that are stoned, or that's such a downer. I mean, you really want the guy. I mean, you guys come out and you are good to go. Mitch, yeah.
2: you said somebody comes out there and they're drunk or they're this, that, and the other. That doesn't happen anymore. Yes. A that, little bit.
1: Not as much. Very little. Very little.
2: But it's the younger bands. Very little. And they don't last because promoters don't want them back. That's right. They don't want you there. They'll, if, it'll happen once. You got one chance at screwing up with Bill Graham. One chance. And when you screwed up, you never got a second chance. That was it. Okay? And that's that's the key there. So, yeah, we used to see that. Was, uh, I know band, I heard of bands that they were just going at 8 o'clock and they didn't show up till midnight. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. The president of the United States, Obama, wants to be a rock star. Everybody wants to be a rock star. And you come to the show late? What the fuck? You know what I mean? They, they, the game would start, the baseball game would start at 7.30. And Pete Rose would be there at 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. 6 o'clock in the morning. Huh? <laughs> okay? Not you know at night. No, <laughs> yeah, he's getting ready. <laughs> exactly. Couldn't wait, beating down the door to get to the ballpark, you see. I said that's why you don't see that anymore, Mitch. You're not gonna see people going out there drunk or this, that and the other. Well, I,
1: so I still see it with the younger bands, the bands that are still in their twenties. They're they're figuring
2: they're figuring stuff out. That that well they'll figure this out. That won't last. People pay too much money and people go through too much. The promoter works too hard to set up all these things. And I did a show first time I did a show in a in a first couple times I did in a a gambling casino. And uh, was in Milwaukee. And I went into the office of the people who worked there and I looked on the wall. And it was all these pictures. It was a picture of B.B. King who worked there, Ray Charles, Willie Nelson, Loretta Lynn. And they had my picture up there. So I asked the guy, I said, wow, look at this. This is great. He put my picture up there. And he said, George, what do all these pictures up there have in common, all those artists that are up on the wall? And I said, well, they're all musicians. And this is what they say. Well, I said, no, they're all legends. So I went, thank you very much. And the cat said, listen, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. Remember this. We're in the gambling business, but we don't gamble. When was the last time you walked into a restaurant or a bar and you did have Budweiser there? You don't gamble. First thing you do, they go, make sure good plays here. Are we stocked up in Budweiser? (laughs) You see, so they've hipped me to what the business is really about. So your people coming on drunk and doing all that, it's too it's too risky. It's just too risky. And people don't want to pay money. Do you want to pay money for that? No, I don't. Or you want to pay money. It's to see, disappointing. Or you want to pay money to see Jeff Beck, blow your mind.
1: There is nothing. But listen, I just, like I said, I saw six shows in six nights. And there was one show in there where the band did pretty much covers all night mm-hmm. and played all their songs at a lower key so it was so disappointing mm-hmm. you, you just want to see the band play the songs the way you know them the way you've loved them mm-hmm. and you don't want to go see a band do an entire night of covers and not give you some of those originals that you know anyway but but yeah you 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 want to you want that full experience
2: you know i was uh doing a show in Chicago at a festival and it was uh, blazing hot real brutal and we were going to go on later and I was sitting in the dressing room and it was about 5.30 6 o'clock at night 200 degrees in the shade and <laughs> our, my my trailer was right behind the stage and the band Fog Hat was playing I'd never seen Fog Hat. so I said well I'll have to walk out and take a look at him." I went out and took a lug out of Mitch And I walked up the steps And I walked on to him playing Blazing Like you wouldn't believe it, 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 it was a Temperature that was just you, you, You're going to end up in a hospital Right And there they are rock The lead singer's got his shirt off And he's running around to the stage he just They're fucking just Getting a band is Just going and going and going I said yeah I don't know who these people are I don't know what their head is But they got the right attitude And then they just didn't let up they were like older guys getting up there and thinking this could be it. Yeah, this could be it. And they, and I was like, so we were so impressed, we hired them. <laughs> we had to get these guys up there. So say what you want about them. <laughs> when they get up there, they don't fool around. You no. know, they're, they're thrilled. You to know, be there to be out there. Yeah, yeah.
1: Let, let me ask you about this. Uh, you put out a solo album a couple of years back. Where are you on, on new music? Is that something that's still important to you, to be creative and have new music and make new songs? Or are you comfortable saying, you know what? Been there, done that. Fans want to hear I, I Drink Alone anyway. Mm-hmm. Let me go give them the best show of the best songs that they know. Mm-hmm. Everybody
2: goes home happy. I did a show one night um, a few years back. And I'd come back to a, a, a market that I had been at not too long ago Mm -hmm. and I really didn't have any new material to speak of and I went on the mic and about the second or third song I said listen I have an announcement ladies and gentlemen Uh, I'm not going to play any new songs and the crowd went
0: yeah I was (laughs)
2: like (laughs) right, (laughs) you're talking to the right guy right here well see Mitch that's what I worked at my whole life I wanted to get a catalog and get to a certain point where I said this is my uh i I almost say ride on the coattails of the catalog. I want to rely on it. That's the spot I want to get in. Yes. And, you know, I talked to John, like John Fogarty and people like that, and he goes, well, I wonder, I said, John, you got one of the greatest rappers, you got some of the greatest songs in the world. People want to hear them. And I'm like, you know, you should be proud of this stuff, you know? I mean, last time I saw McCartney and I saw the Stones, they were so happy, so proud of what they did. And they should be. They were just loving it, just loving it. They played Jumpin' Jack Flash for the 5,000th time, and they were playing it like they have just discovered it yesterday. Yep. And that's the way it is. They were just thrilled to get to that spot. And I said, I, mean, I might be at that spot now. So I went. To, I was in the studio in, uh, in January, a few years back. And a promoter kept calling our agent and wanted us to a festival in Wisconsin. It was July or August, six months in advance. And the guy says, uh, listen, I've got to have George play at this festival. I, uh, and the booking artist said, well, you know, I, I can't reach him right now, blah, blah. He said, well, let me talk to his manager. But like, you don't usually do things like that. He said, all right. So he went to our manager and said, listen, you got to have George. i got to have him. Said, you know, yeah, God wouldn't take no for his answer. So finally our manager said, listen, George isn't taking any gigs right now. He doesn't be really bother. He's in the studio, you know, making making a new record. And you know what the promoter said? Why? <laughs> and I said, he's got a point. He's calling me for what I've already done. Right. You don't have to do anything else. Right. Okay. So I walked out of the studio and said, let's go. Right. No problem. No problem here. You know? So that's what you get to the point of. You know, you get to a point where you say, hey, man, this this is it. I mean, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. I, I, mm. I, I got. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. I mean, that's... I, I mean, when you've written
1: songs like Bad to the Bone, what else do you want to say? I mean, that's... They're iconic songs.
2: What well, you you get when we would go in a studio or years ago and we put songs together? We always thought of the fans, not ourselves. Mm-hmm. What would the fans go for? And then after we got fans, we said, What would our fans go, go for? So we can keep the same customers. Like someone with a restaurant that says, "We'll put this on the menu, but you're going to love it. If you like this, you're going to love this." So right. we saying. So we always focused on the crowd and the audience first, and then say, "Well, do you like, well, if they like it, I like it." If they don't like it, it's out, right? <laughs> you know that's, that's why him. that's why this band does it. Not all bands are the same. So when we you get there, I had a guy in Florida who was a promoter, and uh, we were working with ZZ Top. I was sitting in uh, in a trailer or something, uh, great promoter, John Stoll. He's not with us anymore, and he uh, he came in to this dressing room mine, and I said. <laughs> This is a page right out of Bill Graham's book. You're gonna love this. I said, "Gee, you know, I'm working with ZZ Top. I don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to what, what to wear." And he looks around and he goes, "I want you to wear those shoes, those black pants, that snakeskin scarf. I want you to play Bay of the Bone. I drink alone, bourbon, scotch, and beer, and hootie love." I was like,
0: "Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, yes, sir."
2: I got that, it. I was, that I like. That is is, is where Art likes to be. Huh? When they walk in and say, "You play this, you play this," I was like, why did you hire me? Okay, You didn't hire me to to play, uh, you, know, you know... Some
1: concept album that you're,
2: you're working on with, with violins or anything. No no, 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 no.
1: Now, I know you have to go on stage and we have to sort of wrap this up, but how do you sort of look back at those 45 years? Is is it an immense sense of pride? Is it an immense of, holy Christ, what did we do here? Like, How do you sort of take stock of the career? I mean, you know, listen, last year at Montreal at the um, mm-hmm. Place des Arts, they gave you the... Um, Achievement Award. B. B. King, you know, yeah. what, the B.B. King Achievement mm-hmm. Award. And I know that that touched your heart. Mm-hmm. That, that was a deep...
2: Yeah, that was heavy.
1: That was heavy. And it was a great moment. I mm-hmm. was there. It, mm-hmm. was, it, was, it was... How do
2: you look back on this?
1: You know, did, did you look back with a great sense of pride? Is it, is, you know,
2: I, I was just occasionally. Lucky. Occasionally, I do. I'm usually so busy, I don't have time to take stock with, with my life in general. Right. You know, my life at home, my life on the road. I'm too busy... Uh, to look in the mirror and say gee I never really knew I was good looking <laughs> you know I just don't have the time for it right. but every now and again something sneaks up on me
1: but you gotta hear bad to the bone in a movie and go fuck yeah fuck depends yeah. on the
2: movie <laughs> <laughs> well that's a good point I'm still waiting for Scorsese to call wrap it up yeah thank you Mitch thank you right. always a pleasure right. now back to Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon.
1: And there you have it, folks. My interview with uh, George Thurgood. And yes, a uh, tour manager came and knocked on the door and said, "We gotta go." But, but it is because George literally, literally had to step on stage. So uh, thank you to George and all his team. And now let us get over to his uh, guitar tech, Rev Jones, who you heard him mentioned uh, in the interview. He has a new album out called Backwash. You can check it out at Rev. Jones.com, That is R-E-V-J-O-N-E-S.com. And if you are a 80s f- metal fan, you know, or, or, or 90s, I guess, he was in Steelheart and Kotak with uh, James Kotak and Athena Lee. And so uh, here, without further ado, also recorded at the la- in, in the Laundry Room in Kempfield, Ontario, it is the one, the only, Rev Jones. Uh, we are backstage here in Kempville, Ontario, talking to Rev Jones, who of course is a teching for George Thorogood, but he has his new album out called Backwash, and folks, you might know him from Steelheart, and I believe Kotak as well.
0: Uh-huh. Michael Shanker Group.
1: Michael Shanker Group, that's right. We love, we love, by the way, we love James Kotak, and I've got a great Kotak story to tell you when we're done here, but... Uh, Talk to me about this new album. It just came out this year, 2019. And by the way, I'm thanked in the, in the credits, so thank you for that. I can say that. But uh, talk to me about this uh, this, this
0: album. Well, uh, it's actually kind of a, uh, a thing that's for, the, I don't know, probably the last 10 years I've been saying I'm going to do a solo album or do a solo album, and I just never, never really did it uh, every time I would. Kind of get going. or Hey, I'm going to do this. I'd get a call. Hey, I got a tour. You know, Leslie West or, you know, filling back in with Michael Shanker after I'd left, and you know, it's still hard. So I, it kept going. It kept going. And so uh, a couple years ago, two and a half years ago, I had a, a, a little baby boy. So that kind of kept me home a little bit more. Right. And I decided, you know, well, I'm going to, you know, there's actually a little before that. Whenever my, you know, my wife was pregnant. Uh, and I'd already started recording some songs, just demoing, and I was going to give them away on my site, you know, and because uh, when I'm home, I do uh, the Rev well, Jones. Well,
1: by the yeah. way, plug the site so if people want to go check it out, where is the site?
0: Uh, well, you can go. You can go to uh, RevJones.com. There you go. There you uh, go. Yeah. But yeah so, so, so
1: you were going to give them out on your. Yeah. Site. So
0: I was going to give them out, and I actually was recording them because I had songs, <laughs> a, a few songs over the years that never made it on any of the, you know, any of the albums that I did with other people. They were. They didn't really fit or, you know, I left before, you know, the project was done or something. So uh, I just started demoing them so the guys at home that I played with doing the Rev Jones Band, you know, they could learn them. So I start, you know, kind of putting them in the swing. And uh, I'd uh, I'd recorded on maybe like three or four of them. And I contacted Jim Dofka because we'd been friends forever just to put down the leads. I played all the guitar on it and I just wanted, you know. Proper. Well,
1: you did most of the instruments, if not yeah. all of them.
0: Right? Well, originally on the original demos, I played everything. You know, I played the drums and went back and you know just you know triggered them and everything and uh, played all the bass and guitar. I just wanted proper solos, so I'd sent them to Jim and he you know he had immediately you know sent him sent solos back, but he and I told him what I was wanting to do, and he talked me out of giving it away. He said, "I think there's you know something cool here. You should put it out. You know, just do a full album." And uh, so he kind of. Talk me in, you know. Talk talk me out of you know doing it. So I went ahead and you know wrote up you know the rest of the songs and uh, just kind of you know he he wanted to mix it. You know we did it kind of as a trade deal. I'd done some stuff for him and you right. know so you know and I'd actually played I played all the guitar except for the leads you know on it and uh, he so, which he was originally going to go back and redo the guitar but it was no reason to you know was, I mean it sounded sounded great yeah it sounded great so he you know uh, so I, you know, I did. A, I finished it, and you know, it's the first album that I'm singing on. You know, that that's actually, right. actually singing the whole thing.
1: So let me let me set this for fans because yeah. they might know you from Kotak, they might know you from Steelheart, but you are touring with George Thurgood, so it's yeah. different style. So but, musically, where what kind of style are, are we talking? I mean, I've heard yeah. it, I know what we're yeah. talking about, but it's, a friend that's listening to this for the first time,
0: I, I don't even know how to really describe it. I mean, because it's just, it's like, it's my kind of style that you know. Right. I mean. When I grew up, I listened to bands like, you know, the oddball bands, you know, like Queen and, you know, that there's there's no style, you know. One right. song's super heavy. The next song is, i go up to work in London, you know, it's right. like a... Or
1: ride my bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and,
0: you know, and it's funny because those are the songs that I, I like the most, you know, right. those oddball ones that... It's like the Beatles, you know, it's the same kind of concept. It, it's great because you didn't put them in a category. You, you know you, you could go but
1: most we are we getting you know, heavy songs but it's,
0: to me I mean it's I look at it as the style of like deep purple right you know, it's in that it's like a heavy rock you know gotcha. I don't even I really don't consider it metal uh, maybe there's some of those parts in there but I, I always think of it as a heavy rock you know because gotcha. it's to me I if I was a metal head I would th- you know I think of Slayer and you know that right. kind of stuff and you know and I love those bands you know I, I grew up listening to those bands that's, that's why I always consider that metal and you know, then you have the ACDC and that, you know, the hard rock, and it's kind of the same deal to me, you know, I, I think it's a little more modern in the sense of the sound, so people might get a different grasp on it, but, uh, you know, it's just, to me it's just good, you know, fun, to, all the lyrics are, you know, have an underlying humor, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not to be taken serious, and, right. you know, this is who I voted for, this is what I, you How know, just, I know. That, to me that runs music, you know.
1: Right now, now that you've gotten this solo album out, is it one and done, or is it sort of more motivating to uh, get going to the second and third?
0: I'm going to do a, another one. I mean, I had I probably had about twenty songs at the end of this that were almost done, or you know, I just picked the, the ten I wanted to go with, and I, I kind of want to do because I had a couple of cover songs that I was going to put on it, and, right? Uh, because of the distribution deal I did, I couldn't uh, I couldn't put add covers to it. Right. Uh, so, right, I, cause it's so, expensive. Yeah, and uh, just because they weren't they weren't allowed to accept, even if I had the licensing for it, they couldn't put it out the way that it, the way that it was uh, the deal was that I did. You know, right. so uh, you know, so I, I have a couple of songs that I'm gonna probably release anyway as singles, just you know, just downloads or whatever. But I I kind of want to do a cover album just because there's a, a big handful of songs that I do really cool versions of live every time I play. You, you know. can
1: cover Def Leppard. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I could <laughs> like borrow, we like we borrow the track, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: the, the, before, and getting away from the music for yeah. a second, uh, the teching for George. Yeah. Um, talking about some of those responsibilities, and, and, you know, we we talk a lot about the roadie and the tech and the this, and we see that on Instagram, and I met the roadie. A lot of people don't know what you actually do and what people actually. So, what are sort of you in charge? And because you, you yeah. do show up on stage, sort of well, like with a mask and and, and yeah. you play along for one song because they need a little boost and they don't
0: want to yeah. run tracks. So. Yeah, yeah. Any that George isn't isn't playing, you know, I'm usually I'm usually playing you know playing guitar off stage because you know a couple of songs he wants to come out and you know mm-hmm. he wants to be Mick, Mick Jagger for a minute you know mm-hmm. and, and, and have fun. There's no reason for him to play guitar every song if you know but yeah, he, he, but, he wants, in the band. but he wants to hear it you know so uh and sometimes it's like uh, you know he'll look over it, you should just play guitar in this yeah <laughs> that's you know typical george but yeah so i mean i you know i i set all his guitars up you know i you know his new guitar you know we i helped helped work in the process of uh getting what he wanted uh translated you know right. like he would come over when we were getting it going and, you know, I don't like this, Is there's something wrong here, you know, and I would figure out what that was and, you know, translate it to them so, you know, the people actually in the shop that are, you know, doing the woodwork and everything can fix this, you know, whatever the issue is. And so I, you know, I'm in charge of all that, you know, setting up, and I look at it like, if you're going to have a side job, which most people they play music, regardless uh-huh. how many albums you sold, you're going to have some kind of side job. Unless sometimes, you, and sometimes when you report on rock, you still need a side yeah, job. So. exactly. I mean, and, you know, that might, you know, some, sometimes that might be, you know, flipping burgers. Sometimes it might be, yep. you know, running, you know, being well, a producer you this, and all that.
1: Because we did talk to George about his white fang. You've had a yep. chance now to plug it in and yep. play it and, and, you know, sound check it.
0: How does that baby sound to you? Oh, they're great. Uh, you know, we when they first came out with them or when they first came out with the prototype, prototype. i guess uh, you know we were i had to sneak it into george you know i mean literally it's hard to bring somebody that's been playing a, you know that's stuck on something you know like if he's got a chevy nova now you get this maserati you know and you're like try it ah, you know I you got to sneak it in and i mean the, the advantage was they both look the same you know they they're pretty close you know uh, so I, we were sneaking it in and not, you know, he w- he wouldn't notice right off, you know. <laughs> he he would notice something was different. He didn't notice what, it, you know, because I would do it on stage, right? And if he didn't like it, you know. He, I mean, if you, if you asked him about it, he would tell you he didn't like it because whenever I would come in and told him that's what we did, you know, he's a little mad. But at this, but same, it sounds great. But that's the and way, it looks and great. And that was the way to get past it. So you know, and then we came up with we worked on all all year what needed to change. So then they came out with the the actual first. 20 that are first. I guess the first 10 they made, and I had them first. They sent them to my house so I could set them all up and everything. So, I had, them these, up. so I had these 10 guitars at my house that nobody that he hasn't even played, he hadn't even seen. Well, let them me ask you are
1: you old school or new school? Do, do you tune it all by ear because you're a guitar? You have,
0: well, you have to on the, the G string, will yeah. always get you. Well, the the uh, <laughs> on the white on fangs, you know, because he plays with the slide, it's an open tuning. You can't tune to it. I mean, you tune the G string to the to the tuner, and then you have to tune everything like a piano tuner. You have to tune it to that string by ear. You got to do it by ear because if you tune it by, by real text do it by never, ear. You it'll never ever be in tune if you did it by the notes. It's just like a piano. If you tuned it to a tuner, it wouldn't be in tune. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So real, real techs know that, and that's the, that's <laughs> a problem, and that's that's why it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a, a harder job sometimes doing somebody like George yeah. that has. You know, open tunings because you have to be able to do that, and so it, it actually adds—it's a little challenge. It adds it adds more fun to what I'm doing, and uh, you know that's that's what you know that's what you want. You know, you want a job that you you can enjoy, right. even though it's hard work and it's you know there's more stress sometimes, and you're having to the disadvantage sometimes in your head is that you're you're standing there on the side of the stage watching these guys on stage, you know, and you're like, it's, you know. A lot of people get the jealousy, but I, I you know, I just kind of, I don't even look at that as the, right. you know, I mean, I, I like, I like doing it. You know, I, I set up all my own bases. I do all the work on them. So I had that, that, uh, advantage of that desire already. So, you know, you know, working on his stuff coming out there, you know, and I do, I do the whole thing, you know, I do all the, back, you know, all the back line and I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't uh, pass I it. I love even that. If, even if I got a tour offer that was. Pretty good tour, you know, but not really something. It was, you know, it's going to last. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give this up to go do a, you know, a bigger, yeah. yeah. No. I mean, that well, that's what happened with Stillheart, you know. I, I, I actually left the band. Uh, the last show I did with them was uh, shortly after my son was born. We played in Italy, and it, uh, it was actually
1: uh, oh, the Frontiers. Yeah, um, the,
0: yeah, we did that. It was a, a DVD release, and it, which is a. I mean, it's kind of a sad thing, but uh, yeah. me and. Kenny Kanowski, the guitar player, that was the last show he did. And then he passed away shortly after that. But uh, we, so we did the show, and then I had uh, Martin Anderson, who's been a friend of mine forever. Mm -hmm. I've been having him fill in. And then I finally just realized, uh, because I I was out doing this, there wasn't enough shows with Stillheart. You know, they were, you know.
1: Well, yeah, Millie Millie does like one show every six months.
0: He kind of does, you get a little spree where you're doing a couple, and then a couple weeks later you're doing a couple, but it's you know it's it's hard in you know any yeah. in, any for anybody to take that that job so you know that's why I just and since we had a guy you know since I had a guy in there I wasn't leaving him dry so I wouldn't have done that anyway right you know so I was able to you know leave the band and Martin took over and you know and it worked out yeah and it's and it's great yeah. so
1: uh, so let me just quickly mention uh, RevJones.com, yeah. which is important the yeah. uh, CD is backwashed, but we will finish on this James Kotak uh huh. I love James. James James is awesome. He's always been awesome to me. Uh, but there's got to be a
0: wild and crazy story with James because
1: James.
0: Well, there is every, is a party every time you're with James. It's it's a, party. a wild and crazy story. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you that,
1: and I'll tell you one right after yeah, after uh, I turn the tape this, off.
0: <laughs> it what's funny is I mean the one that the, the thing that comes to mind with James isn't even a James story. It's actually. Uh, uh, kind of an Athena James story, you know. We were doing the Kotak, uh, we were doing shows in Hollywood. It was like right, right around NAM. And uh, like two, two weeks in a row, we had shows and, uh, that were downtown, or in, in Hollywood. And so she wasn't feeling good both days, you know. And, you know, she tried to play the first song and she was having a hard time because she was singing. So she just, and he was looking at her and making her mad. You know, so she just threw the sticks at him and said, "You play then." So he gets back and he's trying to play and play and sing. You know, and it's just punk rock. Sure, Because
1: in Kotak, he was yeah.
0: singing. He was yeah. up front with the guitar. Yeah, and so he's trying to play this punk rock stuff. And he realizes it's harder to play and sing. So, uh, so the first week, Janie Lane was there, and I'd known Janie for a long time. But Janie was completely sober this night—the only time I ever seen him completely sober, mm-hmm. which was shocking. Is I mean, it's a sad thing to say, but you wanted, you're like somebody, get him a drink. Right. You know, because it was just, you know, out of character. But you know, right? Uh, so, and little did people know, Janie was a great drummer. Yes, he was. So he, we get him up there. In fact, I think yeah. he was the original
1: drummer in Warrant or or some band. Yeah, well, they became. were
0: they were in a band together, Buster Brown. Right. Yeah. So so Janie gets up and he doesn't know any of the songs. He's never even heard them. So I'm having to coach him on how to do them and you know it's punk rock so it's you know it's kind of like the, like the modern kind of punk rock yeah it's just like stuff. one two one yeah. two one two real so, and, Come I mean, on. so he did he finished the show which was you know it's like it's, I mean it's just funny so then the next week we get there and,
1: <laughs> so, uh, so the drummer is singing the, the singer is <laughs> drumming yeah and, <laughs> okay so then, so then the Why next
0: not? next week we get there and uh I'm trying to think of who it was uh oh he was the drummer for uh oh, oh man uh What's his name? Uh, this is say pretty boy Floyd. No, well, no, he was the drummer for uh, I Can Tina. Uh, right. Uh, I think he played with Angel, and he's. Uh, I just can't think of his name right off. But right. so he's there. It's same deal. I think it just. Before we were about to start, she just threw the sticks at him. So it's like every time we, every time we do shows, it was something weird. So, they, so it come up on Japan. We were supposed to go do a Japan tour, and and they already gave me a this. Uh, that already told me I couldn't quit the band, unless I could find another okie you know that was that was cool that they liked to take my position. I couldn't do it, and a buddy of mine had moved out there from Oklahoma to play bass, and he had been hanging out with them. So uh, that's how I got out of doing the the Japan tours. I, I said, oh man, I got a gig. You, you need to use, you know, use Price, and uh, I mean it, it's a good thing because they got over there, and then she left, <laughs> and James they had to get the drum tag to play. All the shows, and uh, I knew that. I knew that would happen. But yeah, I mean, I love those two. You know, those two. The days. joys of rock and roll, right? Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, he's still doing good. You know, I heard he was. Yeah. I heard he was doing better. You know, but he's crazy. Yes, yeah. well,
1: and and we'll we'll leave it on that. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Rev. And of yeah, course, thank uh, you. do check out Backwash, Rev yeah. You're
0: listening to Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon. Rock Talk.